0: Are you ready for another rant? Round rant, and today I'm delighted to be joined by Jonathan Higgs, who is the lead singer of the band Everything Everything. Hello. So, first and foremost, thanks for coming on uh, the thanks show, John. Thanks, thanks for, for taking asking. time out. And Cheers. how's everything with you today? Great. Um,
1: I'm hungover a little bit. Um, went out last night to see uh, this thing at Manchester International Festival, which was a kind of VR um concert for uh, Ryuchi Sakamoto who i guess had made the concert and then died so it was the whole thing was quite strange so it was like a vr thing where he was in front of us playing the piano and you could walk all around him but it was made quite eerie because obviously he's he passed away so it was pretty moving actually it was cool and then i got really pissed
0: <laughs> <laughs> sounds like a good evening interesting yeah, evening <laughs> And, yeah, so there's plenty of stuff to dig through. But what I I always tend to ask firstly is, like, I ask for childhood stories. Sometimes I go through the A to Z of one's childhood. I I don't want to absolutely bore you to death by doing that. But when a a musician comes on, like, I, I looked at some of your early years and some of the information I could gather up, like, there was stuff like you creating websites to correct Examiners who screwed up yeah. your exam, stuff like that. So it kind of suggested that you had this nearly rebel instinct in you at an early age. But like when you're a child and when you were a teenager, like what were you getting up into your spare time? Was it purely music or was it just being an absolute messer? Was it being a nerd? Like what <laughs> what did you see yourself as? Um
1: it's a cliche, but yeah, pretty very much an outsider um it's not like I was unpopular, but I certainly had a strong distrust, and I guess I still do, for the mainstream in any regard. Anything that most people are doing, I'm usually distrustful of. Um, but unfortunately, that way of thinking has kind of become quite toxic in the last decade, I would say, and mm-hmm. the conspiracy and the mistrust of everything is kind of boring now to me. It's actually fascinating when somebody b- believes something now. Um, but yeah, certainly as a teenager, it was, um, I would carve out places in, in school, literally physical places, areas of the school where me and my friends would hang out and no one else would go to. For some reason, that was always something that we did. We would find a room that was unused or something and we would make it into our place completely. Um, yeah, I grew up in the middle of nowhere in a tiny little village, um, and we weren't really from there. The, the lineage of those kind of places goes back hundreds of years, and we weren't one of those families. So we always felt a little bit like we didn't fit in there. But then look, going to school in a larger town, we were the weirdos from, <laughs> from, you know, the sticks, too. So it didn't really work. That didn't really work either. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, parents are very scientific people, um, both biologists to some degree, with the study of biology. Uh, my dad's very much into paleontology and archaeology and he collects animal skulls. Well, I mean, there's a couple of humans as well, but <laughs> he collects uh, skulls. He, don't, he has got one human skull and a human knee bone. Um, okay, And so the house has always been full of animal skulls. And the way you get animal skulls isn't that you just find them, although some of them were. No, you find roadkill and you stop the car on family trips, you get out, put it in the back in a plastic bag, or if it's a big animal, there and then you hack its head off and take it home with you, and then you put it in. You, well, he he started out boiling them, but he found that wasn't the best way of doing it. So he actually started to use these types of acids, and he has all these acids for dissolving flesh. And um, But then the, the best technique of all is using these, that I think come from Africa that are really good at eating flesh and they leave everything else. However, they escaped into our garden shed, so that's <laughs> always been a bit of a fear. But in that garden shed, there's so there's like a mummified cat hanging from the roof. <laughs> <laughs> it's just kind of like this, obviously. Yeah. I think it was from the side of a um, train line. I think it got hit by a train. Um, yeah, so my childhood was full of death and he would... Um, he would dissect things like rats, squirrels, on the kitchen table because um, he, he would have his scalpels and everything. Um, and he would always show us, you know, this is the lungs and this is the liver and this is everything. And he would you – know, the smell of it. And I can remember this huge um, soup bowl, soup sort of cooking pot in the utility room, and it had this Alsatian's head in it, just in a bloody bag, this fucking massive wolf. <laughs> dog you know you can imagine how scary they are in real life but it was beheaded and just in this thing in the dark and that that freaked me out that's one I really remember really well but the freezer was often full of um carcasses too but anyway that's just one one little thing so I think that's part of a big part of my childhood was what my dad was up to which is um hobbies that he would take very very seriously um sort of semi-professional at everything and not actually a master of, of anything, I would say. He was, he still is, um, a photographer, but he was like a school, you know, the school photographer. And his photos, he would go abroad to Greenland. That's where my parents um, conceived my brother, actually, was, was on this exhibition in uh, Greenland, looking at these geese that were going extinct. <laughs> And um, yeah, they just got dropped there with a few other hippies and a a crate of Mars bars, but it exploded. (laughs) (laughs) So
0: um,
1: anyway, they would, uh, he would go to somewhere like Greenland and come back with these photos. And I remember as a kid, I would look at them and be like, oh yeah, amazing. What a photographer. But when I look at them now, they're very sort of documentarian. There isn't actually much artistry to any of the stuff he did. And the more I th- think about it, he actually doesn't. He isn't a very artistic person at all, but he's extremely interested in the world and applies himself. Um, he's endlessly fascinated. They both are, um, but my mum is much more artistic. She's a great singer. Uh, she plays the guitar, um, and she's much more of the of a dreamer. She's got she's C of E to a greater or lesser extent, but she's very involved with the church. So I get a lot of. Uh, Anything um, sort of supernatural I get from her and anything completely natural yeah. <laughs> I get from my dad. So it's a good combination, actually, um, that I've come to appreciate. I think if they were both extremely science, then I wouldn't have any romance in me at all and vice versa. I think it's a really good
0: uh, okay, so mix. Bit of the yeah. ying to the yang. I always think yeah. whenever I, I hear of people... Like you were saying with your dad, I don't know if you've seen the film Predator. Uh, it's
1: one of my favorites. Literally one of my favorites. Yeah.
0: So when he just like takes his victims and just like rips yeah. out the skulls, cleans yeah. the skulls, I used to always think that's how the likes of animal skulls were kind of paraded yeah. around. It's Not people. that now far. It's not that <laughs> different.
1: My house is still completely full. of like a muskox skull when you first walk in, and um. Uh, what do you call it, like a swordfish, huge the huge lance they have on the front of their face, a uh, narwhal, sorry, narwhal. Okay. Um Yeah, some is and stuff. But that was so. My child was very much science, um, being the weirdo, having a very centric, certainly father, um, and not and not feeling part of, not feeling part of anything, not being part of society, really. Um, and of being very 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 distrustful of fashion or um commercialism of any kind so something like disney would be uh, we would be completely allergic to as a family you know and yeah. we te- we mercilessly take the piss out of anyone who who was involved in anything that was popular like you know barbie or whatever um obviously yeah. i've softened up on in the, in later life but that was like the beginning was like you just don't don't do it don't do what anyone else is doing just don't fucking do it you know because yeah. it's 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 stupid and it's you know, quite we didn't have a TV so I didn't have a TV until I was 16 till the millennium um so throw that into the mix evenings and saturday mornings were not spent watching TV um I did have some friends just down the road who had a TV on constantly so I managed to get what I needed in terms of Power Rangers or whatever. I knew I knew all the stuff. And I would watch, as you say, Predator, funnily enough, and a lot of films I shouldn't have been seeing um, that age. So they had a much older brother who would play the worst, you know, the, the, the most extreme stuff he could get his hands on. Yeah. So I saw all my aliens and, and anything sex and violence, very, very, very young, which also uh, sort of went... F- hand in hand with some of the more um, weird stuff that I was seeing in every day, you know, violence. Not violence towards animals, but the reality of death, I suppose, which you can get very desensitized to. Well, you just don't ever encounter... um, I don't encounter it at all in my life anymore when I eat a chicken burger. I'm not thinking about a chicken, but my dad used to go into the garden with an axe and and come back with blood all over him and a dead chicken. And that is... very different experience but i also think that's probably the right experience if you're gonna if you're gonna eat something you should probably at least think about how it's died yeah Um, but i'm very guilty of not
0: of not thinking that absolutely yeah and yeah i i was quite of a similar ilk i didn't have a a smartphone till i was 17 and stuff like that and I, i was also exposed i remember the the first film I watched with my dad was Psycho by Alfred Chitchcock. Oh, so that's like amazing. I could, bar- I could barely get into a shower for about four years <laughs> and then I uh, moved swiftly onto Jaws. So every holiday by the sea was a nightmare too. Yeah, but yeah. It's 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 good exposure at an early age, I'd say. And I think it's fine. Yeah. One thing I was looking at was you then went on and studied music. Yep, That's kind of where you met a lot of the band. Yeah. And... I'm cautious that you've been you've you've got skin in this game and you've been around it for quite a while now and like six albums deep but like mm-hmm. when you were starting off and I've been myself in a band here in Dublin I'm not there anymore but we had the dreams of you know making it big having our own sold out shows and stuff like that but mm-hmm. at the time in England like say when you started the band and you kind yep. of felt that you had a bit of talent for it what was the the kind of outlook in the music scene because it's gone through so many changes in the last 25 years. Like what was it like at that time?
1: Well, we were going through the post Britpop pop, um, sort of, I don't know what, the, they will definitely be a name for this time, but it was the, um, Libertine's sort of era where yeah. it was all about, there was, it sort of was a lot about image at that time. I felt, even though they were, they would roundly disagree. I still think that being a fucked up junkie is kind of an image, um, and that was it, it. was, and that was it that was, was, partly, no, true. It was partly It was partly why the why that genre was was in the papers all the time. It's why Kate Moss was going out. You know, it was. It's not that they're personally their fault. You know, they're just normal. They're just regular people. But that whole scene was all about like, yeah, we're fucked up, and we play our guitars kind of shitty, and we don't care because we're, we're poets deep down. And it was fine. It just really wasn't uh, turning me on. And, and my, my friends and I were, were you know, we'd, we'd had a steady diet of Radiohead and Slashing Pumpkins or whatever. Um, and we were listening to a lot of math rock when we were at uni. So it was all about players that could play and trying to expand the old formulas and all that kind of shit. Prog, essentially, with a different name. And uh, also, we were really much railing against the pork pie hats, hat-wearing bands of the time. And we also had um, a being up on it about Manchester because I'd moved to Manchester. Because obviously, I'm not from there; I'm from the borderlands. And um, we went there. Sorry, I moved there, and it was everywhere I turned was just oh Manchester, this Manchester, that. Do you remember these bands from the past, and I was thinking, well, yeah, but that was ages ago, and. and when i think of it now it was it was wasn't even a decade past yeah. i got there in 2002 i think or three it's actually not that long after the happy mondays were in the charts really and uh so i would to begin at the beginning of the band i would i would be like oh they're all shit we need a new sound and all this stuff which i think very much was the mentality i came out of the blocks with was like fuck everything we're doing something different um which is understandable when you when you're an outsider and you come to a massive place like this, that's that's uh, still in love with something that you're not and you can't be, and has already happened. And you didn't think was that good. You're like, right, fuck this. We're going to test it up. Yeah, Which I, I love when bands come through like that. They just hate everyone. When a band comes through and they hate my band, I'm like, yes, <laughs> <laughs> that's what I want. Like, it's exactly what I want. Yeah.
0: Um,
1: so that was the, that was the atmosphere. And we, we went into it very, very quickly. We, we, I had been writing songs for years, and, I, and some of my friends thought that they were good. and um, a particular friend of mine passed the CD to this guy in the industry, and he and it went from there to there to there. and, and before you knew it, it was getting picked up, and we hadn't and I, I didn't even have a band. These are just demos I'd made. Yeah, and so I put this band together very quickly. I'd known all the members for years because of different bands, but I was like, right after uni, I'm going to start the band, the proper band, got all this interest already. So we started it. We actually booked our first gig, I think six weeks hence. And then we had our first rehearsal. So we had a gig coming up and we'd never even played together and we had to get a gig ready. Uh, so that was like a bit of a batsman fire, but I think young bands are also great with that. They just fucking do it. They go and they go and rehearse. Got to make it
0: work. Exactly. Yeah.
1: And we all moved in together. We got the, we had a basement and we just made those noise in Didsbury. Um, It was great. And it was, we were were so confident because we already had A&R interested in the songs that were already recorded. So it was just like, fuck, all we've got to do is play these and write a couple more. Um, (laughs) Which in hindsight, you know, going that fast, I wouldn't recommend unless you're absolutely certain of your of your band, and you can be certain about yourself. You can't be certain about your band. You don't know how everything's going to shake out. And my best friend, he he ended up leaving the band, um, just before we got signed. Sort of as we were getting signed, he was like, "I'm out, of, I'm out of here," and that's not great, you know. I'd rather yeah. have a friend. I'd rather have a friend than a band, but. um, you, it's difficult to predict how things will go. I, I played it over, over, and over again in my mind about how things went with that, and I don't know what I would do differently. Probably everything, but <laughs> I always felt that you you get what you maybe get one and a half chances, and we had a chance, you know, and it was like, well, I'm not going to not get signed. It was difficult, difficult.
0: Yeah, it kind of. Lot- it sounds a little bit like my predicament where yeah me and one of my close friends where he was the lead singer of the band and Mm -hmm. i had to tell him just as we got management and booked for festivals and shows and started being on the radio i had to tell him that sorry i have to focus on college so i remember at the time how how shit it was for both of us and for about two months Mm -hmm. it was like not really speaking then we kind of got over it once the band kind of kept going but it's it is as you said it you'd nearly rather have the friend full time than the band at that stage. But one thing you were, you were covering there, John is the band itself. Like you, you wrote many demos and maybe had all these singles in your back pocket, which is always the luxury of most first albums. You have most of the material sorted, but like, how did you find working with the other band members? Because like I'm not going to keep referring back to my experience, but like I love Blink One Eighty Two. My lead singer loved you too. The other one was like a hybrid of everything. Then the other was a bit more punk, and that kind of clashes when you have an overall view of how you want to sound naturally. Mm-hmm. But did say like all you guys have similar kind of ideas for the band, or was there a bit of give and take, a bit of bit of fight I back th- from certain elements? No, I think
1: we all were pretty much in the same ballpark i think we all held certain bands at the very top of our trees and yeah we would have had different branches below it but you know the beatles radiohead the the, the best bands we all had in common it wasn't like someone was like well actually you know rush are the best <laughs> band <laughs> it was like no no we we know we know what the like the the five pillars of islam are yeah and uh <laughs> we um yeah, I mean, it, it, I think if we were all completely the same, that'd be pretty boring. I think it's, it's pretty great when there, when there is a bit of give and take. You learn stuff from each other and you, you don't, you know, you just have, there's no point having a load of clones. So Mike um, studied jazz, our drummer, and uh, he did a year in Boston when he was at uni, um, studying music out there, studying drums out there. So he's got this huge jazz knowledge that I have no idea about. And he can dip into that anytime and go, oh, you mean a bit more like, you know, this jazz person I've never heard of and I'll do something that I could never have imagined, you know, and Alex is the same. He's got a jazz side to him, but he's also got all these guitar legends that I have no interest in, (laughs) but he, and, and neither does he, to be honest, but he, he can, he's got an amazing amount of skill and he can, um, things pretty quickly and pretty well. Um, and Jez has got a, a, all this post rock world. He he was very much embedded in the sort of DIY scene in Kent, where he's from. And they had this um, this whole scene basically that was all about DIY ethic and punk and and this particular sound, which is actually I would say kind of quite popular now, as a lot of bands right now that sound a bit like that scene where you'll have a singer who's basically talking and then shouting and the band's just sort of, you know, it's not more, it's, it's much less songy songy. It's kind yeah. of like, um, what's that Irish one that's big at the moment? Uh, fuck. There is one. Band? <laughs> yeah. There's a band. Um, anyway, sounds a bit like that. Anyway. Yeah. yeah. So it's great having a, having a full spread like that is really good. Well, I think having um, a varied skill set is, is actually imperative for, for being a, in a band. If you're all the same personality type and you've all got the same attitude, then there's going to be areas that never get looked at. So I've known bands where everyone has a big ego, everyone can't be asked, and everyone <laughs> wants to be in control of everything. And as you can imagine, that means that certain things never get done Certain yeah. things never get talked about, and certain things have far too many cooks spoiling the broth. And we have those problems too. But I think we we fit together personality wise pretty well. There's not too much of anything. There's a bit. There's a. I think we've got a pretty good balance of what we need, um, and so we keep things covered. We keep things like you know, the boring business side of it is actually being talked about as you know, not just left to mysterious shadowy people and <laughs> the, the creative stuff we all have a hand in you know i i'm good at video and image and music you know alex is incredible at producing music etc cetera, etc cetera, so we we have quite a lot of
0: transferable skills which is good which is good on the team it's it definitely a creative is. one and the like your music it's it comes in all different shapes and sizes, which I suppose is a testament to your longevity and creativity, is what I would say. And like some of your music, it just it doesn't... If you played it next to 10 chart songs, and I'm not necessarily saying that's what you want to be, but like just if you pick 10 of the most generic songs that you hear on the radio and just stuck yours in the middle, any random song of yours, it could just have any instrument any running length any type of harmonies and whatnot which is great but how does that manifest itself because you're so creative with your songwriting the instrumentation sometimes i hear things that i'm like I, that's not a drum like how that can't mm-hmm. be a drum like that's someone hitting a k- kitchen pan in an attic to get oh, yeah. the echo sound so like how do you not so much replicate because it's obviously done, but the creative process for you and the band making such unique noises in the most basic way possible. Like what does that look like?
1: Um, I think with everything I write, everything Alex writes, we're both trying to do something we haven't done before, which is an absolute like standard practice. If as soon as, before I even show it to anyone, if I hear myself repeating myself, then I'm like, mm, I'll save that and close it, and I'm probably not going to open it again, um, unless it's spectacularly catchy or something, or I've fallen across something that just really works. So it's usually find something that is exciting to you because you haven't done it before. Um, and then I always try and make sure that there's a a skeleton that doesn't rely on anything fancy it should you should be able to play the hook the main chorus hook say with a guitar with guitar chords and voice and that's it and someone should be able to say that's good then you can then you can start making it interesting if you don't have that first bit then you're in a trap that quite a lot of people fall into which is a song that sounds amazing but there's nothing there and no one's going to get moved by it and no one's going to get excited by it beyond the hype production bollocks basically if you yeah. have both the, those those things if you have a, a great core and then you make it as exciting as you can then you're onto something good so I think that's how it always starts is try and surprise yourself at, at the same at, so as not to the detriment of the song being good so get that balance right surprising but also enjoyable because you god knows you can have surprising music that's not enjoyable there's entire genres of that (laughs) and then try and present it in the most exciting way you can and also take some risks so there's always a moment when we're making a record where someone will turn around and just be like what is this genre like what the fuck are we doing and whenever whenever we pick up on that we're like right this we're definitely doing the right thing that's a really good thing to hear as long as it's genuine you know if there's, there's if there's a good few moments where you're going what the actual fuck how can we get away with this then then we know we're doing something good and we'll pursue that if it's just like this is good this is cool sounds a bit like radiohead and it's pleasant then it doesn't make it to the record because that's obviously what happens to a lot of our demos (laughs) yeah you
0: need to add a bit more spice to that dish yeah yeah and do you think because you've seen it all say when you started in college and started doing your demos a lot of stuff was one take a lot of it had errors and like i even love mm-hmm. listening to acapella bass tracks from the 90s and you can nice. actually hear like the actual mistakes mm-hmm. like or even the bum notes or whatever it may be nowadays with pro tools everything can be perfect if you wanted to indeed like absolutely everything your voice the guitar playing even the sounds it can be all pitch corrected is that a I may know the answer to this question, but I still need to ask. Like, is that a temptation that sometimes affects your songwriting? Is that one of the biggest battles you have to do when, like, you take it, part in the creative process? Absolutely. Uh, although I would
1: say it doesn't affect the writing, it but it affects the production. The yeah, the presentation of it. The that's something we say on literally every album, and that, I'm not exaggerating. We've said it seven times now. Let's not over. Uh, tweak and make this too perfect Let's keep the, the mistakes um, and every single record we completely make it perfect <laughs> or to to within probably 85% perfect and then maybe 15% tiny bit of error. The thing is as soon as you beat detect a drum track say even if you only do it 80% so that's when you get everything in time perfect. Yeah then if there is, say, a late crash or something, the drummer's sat there and we, hear, we listen to the track maybe 50 times because of everything, you know, the recording process. On, the, on day nine, he's going to go, guys, can you just move the, the crash back tiny? It's pissing me off. Because obviously he is. And if I'm listening to a vocal track, 80% of it's perfectly in tune and then I hit this big note halfway through and it's off, and I have to listen to that 30 times... <laughs> then on day nine, I'm going to say, guys, can you tune that? Because it just fucking happens. Uh, But something that made me feel okay about that was a Billy Corgan interview I read years ago. And he was saying, if you're going to record this song once, this thing that you think is great and you're going to play it 9,000 times in your life, why wouldn't you make that one recording the best possible version you could possibly do? It's not like Michelangelo left his mistakes, you know <laughs> yeah. although over he, the place, he probably yeah. did he probably did and that's probably why it's good it probably is flawed it's it's an age-old question and and there probably are loads of flaws in the things we consider perfect anyway yeah, yeah. so but, fuck those i don't even know <laughs> what the answer to that is you just do it until you're happy and you don't sometimes the thing is you go for you process it to the point because that's the point you want it to be able to fit in alongside heavily um tuned pop music because you've got this is a subversive pop track and we want to take this perfect voice and that Britney Scott, whatever and put it in this world where she wouldn't belong or whatever and so you actually do tune it and time it and and all the rest of it because you you want it to sound like that you want it, we just did a record where i was talking to a lot about ai you know and, and yeah. robots and stuff and goddamn right we want me to sound Quite false, actually. And we want everything to be perfect. We want everything, you know. So it it really depends on what you're making. If we were making a a punk record, we wouldn't be tuning and timing. God, that would be horrible.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Be be a long couple of months in the studio, I'd imagine. Uh, It would just be like American
1: sort of, yeah, it wouldn't be good.
0: Yeah. It depends what
1: you're doing, I think.
0: Yeah, true. And you somewhat alluded to it there where. You talked about maybe expectations or the the view of art. If you show or even the painting behind me, it's some bog standard painting. If you look at it, you might see one thing. I look at it, I see another. Yeah. And that's the exact same thing with music. I could play No Reptiles by yourselves and mm-hmm. I could love it, but then someone else could be like, that's the worst song I've ever heard. Yeah. <laughs> with yeah. all due respect, that's the glory of it. But Great. Do, how do you... Because you're in a, a public sphere. It's not like you're just putting up stuff and it's getting one view by, you know, mm-hmm. the cat in the room. It is. I wish. <laughs> it has <laughs> been, you know, critiqued. It has been viewed by thousands, if not millions. And how do you, like, personally manage that relationship or even expectation with your personal art where you're putting it all on the table and fans and even non fans? Are judging your every move, your every note, or in this case, your your every produced it's quite, song. It's it's quite easy if they if they like it,
1: they're um, very intelligent. If they don't like it, they're <laughs> fucking idiot morons. It's easy. That's it. They're just morons if they don't get it.
0: Okay. Absolute morons. <laughs> so for the for the non everything everything <laughs> fans out there, you're all yeah. You
1: just you're just stupid. It's, it's okay. But that's that's the reason that you don't like it. Bigoted <laughs> Neanderthals, basically. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> fair, fair. That's a good way. Um, of I,
1: I've never let it. I've never let it really. Um... Well, it's weird. I say I always say like, oh, I've never let it hurt me. But the truth is, we actually don't really get bad reviews, and I know that sounds big headed, but our first like four records or something were just honestly very well reviewed critically. Yeah, And I haven't really looked at the last couple because I just, you know, pandemic, I just wasn't that into anything like everyone. So I I didn't really read the last ones, but I know it was generally well received. Um, And I feel as though we've proved ourselves so many times. I'm not that bothered about what the critics say. And fans, I think we kind of live in a bit of a time where if you're not into something, you... You just don't come across it. You have to seek out the things you're into now because there is no, you know, it's not like we've got three TV channels anymore. So some hypothetical guy who doesn't like my band, he's probably not going to hear it unless he's listening to the radio or, you know, we're on TV coverage of something. And at those points, yeah, you do get the occasional person who doesn't like it, but really you're leading a group of people who already like you around for years on end, you the same group. And sometimes it gets bigger, sometimes it gets smaller, but it really, it's the same core audience who already like what you do. And you're not going to stray so far away from that, that they start disliking you. Because I think we probably have similar tastes in music, the band and the fans, because we keep making it because we think it's good. Yeah. And they keep listening to it because they think it's good. It's like, it doesn't, I don't get the feeling of like, oh shit, because if I think something's good, then really that's all you can do. I've seen so many things where people have said, this is amazing. This is amazing. This is amazing. And then I check it out and it isn't amazing to me. Yeah. So you really, you can only prove stuff to yourself. And I think everything we do is, is great. And I think that's a good place to be Yeah. mentally as a creator, really. Like if you, if you're doubting yourself the whole time, people can tell, like if you, if you go and watch a band and the, and the front man or woman or front person is <laughs> uh, doubting themselves. You should see it instantly and you see it in, it's not just about music. You see it in an actor, you see it in an audition, you see it in a job interview. Really what you're selling a lot of the time in the world and in your life is just confidence in yourself and people pick up on it. I can go on stage no matter what's happening in my life. And as, if I act like I'm very confident in myself, because I will be, people will pick up on it, even if I'm singing all over the place, you know, people pick up on it. And in many ways, that's what they came to see is someone confident in themselves. It's not actually, obviously, there is music, but there's this huge element that isn't really um, talked about where you actually, you just want the experience of observing somebody confident. And I think that's also, what um, movie star power is as well, this kind of elusive thing where some people have it, some people don't. And you, you can't just say it's their looks <laughs> or their ability to emote. It's this other thing where they have this inner confidence, and that's what is so attractive to humans, I think.
0: Yeah, that's definitely an interesting way of putting it. it that's is- why you
1: get people like Jesus Christ, you know, <laughs> literally somebody confident who seems to have figured out something you you follow them. You literally follow them and you'll do whatever you can for them. And I do it too. I do it for the bands I like and the directors I like and it, well, you know, the politicians I believe in. I'm like, fuck, it's really, they could be speaking Japanese and I would still get the feeling. It's weird.
0: Yeah. Well, like it is is. It it is an act at the end of the day, like especially Absolutely. the live performance. Like you, Yeah. I remember seeing Frankie Boyle a few months ago and he was saying stuff like he's like this is an act everything I'm doing here is creative mm-hmm. it's not who I am I don't go around the streets heckling yep. people and saying stupid one liners yeah but it, it is an interesting thought to have of kind of the arts or the entertainment side of things and yeah with with say yourselves having been around for a very long time gone through several album, albums as well Like, one thing I always thought about yourself, particularly whenever I've read interviews, you have a creative mind. Like, that's absolutely obvious. We don't need to delve into that. But an element of music that I find really, really interesting, which I think a lot maybe of the casual fans don't, is how particular albums, like the last three, four years of albums, most of the ones I've listened to have, have a dark undertone due to the pandemic or it's some loneliness or something, escapism in some uh, way, shape or form. But how do you find your, I suppose, your mental health when it comes to songwriting? Like, can you divorce the two? Because a lot of times people, and you've even said it yourself, you write kind of how you feel. Some people have said in the past, I have really dark thoughts, but I'm a pop star. People don't want to be hearing about me, questioning my life and mortality. Like how, what effect does your mental health, whether it's in a real positive state or a negative state, have on your music? Or is it basically the sole deciding factor in how your music will sound and what lyrically will be written?
1: Yeah, I think it's, I'm in a lucky position compared to your example there because no one's making me pretend something I'm not you know I'm not I'm not a pop star and I've found my audience by singing about my feelings and a lot almost all of it is actually incredibly negative Um, perhaps I would say the idea people have of me is probably somewhat skewed to the negative I see a lot of people writing that I have depression that my songs are about depression or like on Lyric Genius like oh this is another song about depression and this is how the depression won't leave him and all this shit which is fine. And I'm, I'm not going to call that out, but it's, I don't have depression. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, but I do get sad sometimes. And I was, there was a long period of my life where I was sad um, because of how my life was and it's been, there's been a change in the last few years. And I think my, it's been reflected in my music. Certainly raw data feel. I made an effort to try and sound positive and try and make some positive statements really like I feel good and things like this um yeah so it does affect me I I I do I would struggle I think to write a song um where that wasn't true if I was feeling good and I was thinking I'm going to sit down and write the saddest song ever written it just wouldn't happen (laughs) it would just be completely absurd and also if I was feeling like shit I wouldn't sit down and write a positive song so yeah of course it is a reflection that I'm not in any, I don't have any desire to change that because it's the best stuff is was always the stuff that's true, um, and that goes for any art form, really.
0: Yeah, no, fair, fairly pop. <clears throat> it's just it's a point I, I kind of wanted to ask because I've had musicians on in the past and sometimes they've said record label gave them pressure for a single, so they just kind of wrote a song on a whim. Oh yeah, I mean we, and stuff we, like that.
1: We always know we need we're going to need five
0: radio friendly songs say but we've
1: always we've known that always 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 since before we were a band we wanted to be a band that's on the radio we wanted to be a band that people actually know about and we know that singles is the way and we love singles ourselves we're brought up on them and we listen to them all the fucking time that's what good music is the best songs are the singles usually and so we always we've always had that knowledge and we've always done that it's never there's never been a time where we've presented a record to a, a label and We've been on a lot of labels now and they've gone, uh, yeah, but where are the singles? I mean, they do say that, but we go, here they are. (laughs) Um, there's never, that's not just not a problem. I don't think because we're realistic and that's, we're not trying to destroy the, um, the system of singles and radio and live performance and everything that suddenly gets jettisoned when you step out of that. Like we want to be a band that people know about, you know, we, we just want to be like mm. our heroes and they all have singles that's that's what we want to make
0: yeah and you've, you've done a fairly decent job of cropping up with a few big time singles and i said it earlier on the podcast like no reptiles which i don't know maybe i'm completely way off and saying that that doesn't strike me as maybe compared no. to say distant past that's not that's not a single in
1: anyone's book and we're, yeah. and we're still amazed we managed to get that put but, out
0: but yeah it is it's such an obscure song that i I just i remember it just came on my youtube recommend years and years and years and years ago Mm. and i was just like fuck like lyrically this is insane the like tonality shifts were mental like at the start you're kind of the high-pitched singing (laughs) and then it yeah it builds up to that like epic outro nearly but the the lyrics in that song kind of and this is again going back to like lyric genius or song meaning. and mm-hmm. this is my perception of it you can tell me I'm completely wrong because that is well within your right, and you've got the facts but it's kind of like being nearly like pissed off a little bit with how society was and how like people were acting and like where people were in the world but like focusing in on that particular song because I, I want to be a bit self-indulgent here as the, the host mm-hmm. of this podcast but like how how was the how did that song come to be and what is in your in your terms anyway the the message behind it um i think that the 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 big
1: melody the that came to me walking down the street actually which is that's probably only happened to me like twice and i i knew that it had to do that thing where it leaves the gap and then does the hold enough to fire again. I knew that that had to happen, and it had this. I had this overwhelming sense that this was like someone else's song, or this is like a great song by The Smiths or something. <laughs> and I and I went home and just I probably, in fact, on the street I probably sang that into my phone, and then I went home and I made it. And I had this intro. I was just like, "This is just the thing that repeats. This is not really a song. There needs to be something else." So I made the start bit and. For a long time, my kind of default mode is just to sing very fast and in a falsetto because that feels most comfortable to me. And I had this verse that was just like D-d-d-d-d-d-d. you know, it probably wasn't yeah. even real words. <laughs> um, I don't know. It it actually does have a strange conception that song. It doesn't it doesn't feel like your average one where you sit down with a guitar. No. It just sort of fell into my head, and it had to be that way. There was no there was no like softening of it. There was no editing of it it was just that was the thing and it was really strange and I presented it to the guys and they really liked it and it, the rest is history but yeah I mean what it's about I think the the big lyric uh, about the fat child it was it was. <laughs> I was pretty despairing around that time there was a lot of uh, problems in the world it was when terrorism was was really hotting up and there was Um, various people from the UK had been caught and beheaded on camera. And it was just all horrifying and terrifying. And I was feeling quite terrorized myself because I was following it so religiously. Yeah. Um, No pun intended. And uh, (laughs) this was really a feeling of helplessness. And I think I may have even seen like literally an overweight child in a pushchair or something like this. And that, and Thinking like he could, he should be running about. Yeah. Why the fuck is he in a chair? What? Why is he so helpless? No, you know, no offense to this little guy if he even existed. Yeah. I may have just made this up, <laughs> but it was. To, I wanted to capture the sense of helplessness, of feeling like um, a sort of coddled, plump, hairless kind of useless person in the world, but with no transferable skills and no survival instinct and 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 no use to anybody and just sort of helpless western comfortable it's a thing it's a theme that i come back to an awful lot actually across my songs it's just a feeling of of i wouldn't say guilt but it's almost like a wasted opportunity um when i'm i've got this body and i've got this brain and i'm using it in such a soft way um i'm not in touch with the world and i'm not doing anything that's any use and and my ancestors would be appalled to see me now but at the same time i can perfectly understand that they would kill literally to have a glass of water as 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 clean as my one you know or a bed as soft as mine all the rest of it and the fact that we all live like ancient kings now and we don't and we take it for granted but there was it it was sort of tinged with this kind of horror the horror of the time which was this the death just around the corner and these these radicals really believe in something real and they're really doing something real because they believe it so much they're willing to kill themselves, blow themselves up. And there was something about the, um, the stark reality of that, that that really went into Get to Heaven as a whole and me kind of longing f- to believe something that strongly rather than just be cynical of everything and have this coddled life. Um, so really it was my frustration. But at the same time, I want. I, I kind of knew that people, a lot of people probably felt like that because they have to. They absolutely have to. And so, me singing "It's All Right" to feel like that is kind of like trying to reassure people, trying to reassure myself that this is not. It's not like it's a third, you know, a first world problem, but it's. Um, I think it's just a uh, something that we don't. We don't even have the language for. It's not really ever discussed. It's not really. Um, this particular kind of anxiety—it's not—we, it's not—it's uh, we, not, it's, we never encounter it really. So I don't know—I don't know why it had the effect it did that song, but it really did connect with people, and it's still, still the best song I've written. And then the, you know, the the stuff that comes after it is about, you know, I just want one opportunity, just give me this one night, you know, to, to feel to feel. I mean, I say yeah. it in the song, it's, it, it couldn't be more, it couldn't be more simple. That's the other thing that I really like about it. It isn't, there is no metaphor there. I'm just literally saying what I mean. Yeah. Just give me this one night to feel like I might be on the right path. I might be doing something right. I might be, I might be okay. I might be useful. I was feeling very un. you know, I was feeling useless in my life in lots of other ways. And it was a very insane time. Um, but yeah. I, whatever it is, I, enough people know without even having to explain it. They they just seem to get it. That song, something about it that I can't. I'm discovering now. I can't even put into words properly myself.
0: Yeah, um, which is probably a good a good thing. Yeah, it's about some about it some huge
1: unanswered thing that a lot of people seem to be feeling. This sense that living in the modern world is 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 wrong in some deep way that can't be defined. And that's what I've been writing about since day one, since My Keys, Your Boyfriend came out. <laughs> and on the record that we're writing right now, I'm still at the same themes are there, that something is terribly, deeply wrong about modern life. And it's leaving a hole in our souls. Yeah. But no one can tell us what it is and no one knows how to fix it. And I don't want to give up any of my luxuries either. But there is definitely something something wrong.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. And the latest album of yours, uh, Raw Day to Feel. You even said earlier that you used AI to yep. create some lyrics, also Indeed. some of the artwork as well. Which is a, it's an interesting thing. Like some of some of my mates say, I'm like, oh, I'm getting, I'm having say yourself on or I'm having X and Y on they're like okay we'll just type it into chat chat gpt and you'll get yeah. 20 class questions asked so mm-hmm. that's kind of what we're we our luxury is now that that is an option so it was interesting that you did say it and I do want to say also on raw data field the album i have listened to it countless times i think it's, it's superb and Thanks. big tracks for me like jennifer absolutely mm-hmm. love um was it uh, Leviathan? Leviathan? Leviathan. I can't pronounce it, but thank you for <laughs> correcting me. All right. And Shark Week are absolute right. bangers, yeah, especially yeah. Shark Week. Like I know that I might not be the the big big one, but like when I listened to that, I was just like, God, that is yeah. That's that's a, that's a second or third <laughs> listen straight away. Um, but yeah, no, I, I love those songs. But when you get to the stage you're at where as you've said you, you're you're happy with what you do the litmus test you use is if you like the songs you write and you're happy with that mm-hmm. <laughs> like right now say for instance tomorrow you you finish the band obviously i don't want that i'm not suggesting you do that mm-hmm. but if say your your music career ended like say right after this podcast your music career is done like would you look back and go i'm absolutely happy with those innings or is there still motivation inspiration within you where you're like i want to do this whether it's maybe not necessarily fully musically or album related like is there stuff you still want to achieve in your yeah, line I mean, of work
1: i have a huge well in my line of work that's the question i would
0: or outside um, of it if i would obviously like
1: that. the band to be much more popular than it is i don't think that's wrong of me to say um but in terms of what the stuff we've made i wouldn't change it i think Very, very, very proud of what we've created. Um, I would love to 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 direct more film. Um, That would be the angle I would attempt probably if this magical thing did happen. Um, And I guess I definitely have a large visual component, so I'm always making, I'm always drawing, and I've got and I make stuff in Blender now in three D. So. I would probably go down that route. And that's something I want to explore a bit more, actually, that later on this year. I'm thinking of maybe uh, putting some of my art out there for the first time. I mean, I say the first time. I mean, I literally, <laughs> you know. You are designed, an artist. It's like our <laughs> very first single cover and stuff like that. Um, and I've directed nearly all our videos, etc. But whatever. Some, um, some new kind of, some un-band-related art. How about that? because everything i've ever done
0: has always been for the band okay and just last thing on on the band before we cap off with a few quick fire questions like is there is there anything because i know it's now pretty much a year since the latest album did come out and i know there's a few shows and stuff lined up like but is there any immediate plans or midterm plans that you have for everything everything or
1: um yeah i'd say we have midterm plans um doing a bit of writing um doing some uh little bits of recording nothing that's going to be a total departure we're making more more music as you might imagine but the whole system is kind of so much speeded up compared to when we started um it's, there's an expectation now that you need to make a record
0: like every year and a half. Um, Which you don't normally do. I think you're like a three, four year break. Well, yeah. Typically. Well, well
1: we, yeah, It'd be good if we were. But at the moment, <laughs> it feels like you get done with one, you've got to start another one immediately. Yeah. And that was like that after Reanimator. It was like, right, you've done that. Right, make all Eight feel right. That's finished <laughs> now. Right, make this now. So it's fine. And it is, it is my job. And this is what you do in this job. But... I sometimes wish it would go a bit more slowly and that you would, we could uh, just explore what we've made a bit more in depth before we're moving on. Um, But that's where we are. We're very lucky to have an audience and to have a platform and all the rest of it. If I was a new band, trying to get people to listen to my record would be... It would just kill me because it would be so difficult. It would be so difficult. I really feel for bands uh,
0: in the 2020s and how because i know loads of bands here in ireland that are absolutely incredible like really yeah. really good bands some people say oh it's easier to get exposure now you can just throw it up on youtube or spotify just on a whim you can create like you could quite literally create a song have it sound production wise pretty yeah. pretty good all within yeah. like an hour and get it up online Good. So the exposure is is quite good, but why do you think it is so difficult now? Because like every every band so I see, yeah, every band I see, it's either a band that was famous in two thousand four, coming and yeah. selling out big arenas, but it's very rare I see a upcoming new exciting band. Mm. And like, why do you think that's the case? It's
1: because you can't get you can't get enough attention on you. There's just so it's just so crowded. Yeah, you. The fact that you can be on YouTube doesn't mean much if no one's watching it. That's the yeah. thing. Um, but I think it's inevitable that this, when you have a scarcity of things, where you know, let's say there were a hundred bands in 1966 that were on <laughs> selling records in London or whatever. You know, now there's probably ten thousand bands in London, or you know, that's not not good numbers, but the difference is, you, everything used to be focused on. a a smaller amount of product and the product grows the focus gets diluted so yeah 50 great bands in dublin might all find a small audience but to break out and become a huge band that everyone is listening to is next to impossible unless you have a shitload of money
0: yeah that can solve a- or some,
1: some other connection like you're, you're, you're going out with someone famous, that's about the only two ways it can happen now, is you go viral through just luck, complete luck or you have a shit ton of money and you throw it and throw it and throw it and throw it, and throw it until enough people have gone, alright what is this thing, <laughs> and then they experience it and your thing is no better or worse than the next man's, you just have money, unfortunately that's actually what that's the only way you can get into it for definite or near to definite yeah, and the rest is the rest is pure luck now. Even you could be the literally the best band that has ever existed and it's still impossible to, to get heard like the, the quality of the product, unfortunately has very little bearing now, but that's partly because the quality of everything has actually risen to a point where it's kind of unbelievable. You can, you could probably get an app on an iPad that would record a band well enough that 50% of people would think that was done, you know?
0: Yeah. (laughs) And then
1: you can can put it on Spotify that evening, you know, and you can make a video pretty well with a a smartphone. It's good enough.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's
1: crazy. It's a crazy world we're living in in terms of scarcity, the scarcity model we're all used to, but maybe it shouldn't. I've ever been like that. Maybe that's a 20th century phenomenon is in that you have to listen to the Beatles or the Rolling Stones. And in 2060, why would that be true? You just listen to exactly what you want, probably written by a computer to, (laughs) and it'll be, I'm rambling now, but I imagine it's it's not going to be long before all entertainment is catered to the individual using artificial intelligence, and you will watch a film that doesn't have Brad Pitt in, it has you in it, and you're in it, you know? Yeah. And the idea of sitting down and in, taking in somebody's story will be quaint. It'll be, yeah. how, can I, how can I be in this story? Yeah, it needs to be more relatable. I don't want to be watching. Yeah, you wouldn't go to see Adele, you would become Adele. You know, <laughs> That's what it would be like, and not
0: very long as well. Yeah, I want to be buddies in the in the latest Tarantino film, not just watching exactly. Brad Pitt and exactly. Leonardo. So, yeah, it's Why an interesting you? point. Who's going to turn that down? No, Nobody. Not many. But, yeah, so, John, the podcast formalities are over, and how I normally finish is just with a handful of quick fire questions, yeah. and then I can let you go enjoy uh, the weekend. And, yeah, I'll get straight into it. So, your favorite live show ever by your band, not by another band.
1: Oh, that's easy. Williams, Green, Glastonbury, 2015 or 16. Um, we just released No Reptiles earlier that week, so it must have been 2015. And we played our show on the main, the the larger of the stages, Hmm. and then we played one the next day when we were all hungover (laughs) and feeling emotional, and we played No Reptiles, and I didn't think anyone would even know what it was, but they were all singing it back, and I just burst into tears right there on the stage, I was quite hungover, to be fair. Yeah.
0: And I couldn't even a sing the song.
1: So the first, maybe the second time we ever played that song, I literally didn't even sing it, and the crowd sang it for me, and it, and we were all just looking around like, what the fuck is going on? This is a response we did not expect, let alone for that song. And uh, that will always, always be my number one emotional experience, probably with music
0: full stop. Class, and rightfully so. And next up is your favorite film of all time. Um,
1: I think it's probably
0: uh, Evil Dead Two. Okay, that's a bit of a a left turn, but I'll I'll accept it. No, it's it. it's
1: it's uh, something I saw when I was very young, and the blend of horror and and humor has never left me. I think it's amazing, stylish, groundbreaking very inventive on a shoestring it's everything it's everything good it's it's all the great things it's a great actor and a great director being young and fucking about and it was so inspirational to me when i was making films when i was 17 18 19 just the idea that you can go into the woods with a camera and your friend and just just fuck about and and make scare the shit out of each other (laughs) um so yeah i think i think it probably is that all things considered
0: okay so, this is a bit more to do with your latest album, Raw Data Feel, but I had mm-hmm. to ask, and because one of my friends wanted to know, what does the line, he's Obama in the streets, but thinks he's Osama in the sheets, mean? <laughs> so, at some point in 2021, 20,
1: I was looking at somebody's um, Tinder over their shoulder. It wasn't my account. So, they were swiping through men. And uh, I saw this one guy who'd written Obama in the streets or somewhere <laughs> in the sheets, and I just and I literally just I just burst out laughing. Wrote it into my phone. Came back to it about five months later. I was like, right, I, I really want to put this into a song. I've no idea how I'm going to do it. Okay. And the way I put it in doesn't even. It's not as. It's not as snappy as that. I had because I had to add words around it, like he thinks he's a you know. But mm-hmm. I also I suppose it made it. I judged the person. By writing it that way, he thinks he is rather than just being it. Yeah. So it's, not as pure, it's not as pure as I'd like. But I put it in there because I, it was just meant to be talking about, you know, somebody who's a bit full of themselves. But it's not really my thing. I, I stole it. Um, yeah. Well. Uh, I, I'm not going to pretend I made that up. Yeah. But I, I will say I have two, um, two hard drives on my PC and they are called Obama and Osama.
0: good stuff and this is a question that sometimes caused great concern slash debate and panic amongst musicians but what is your favorite bridge that you've ever wrote with everything everything or interlude Um, whatever you want to call it
1: Uh it's probably Kimisabi. <laughs> it's great. It's great. Love it. Um I mean bridges are, are often the best bit of a song, actually. And yeah, I mean I I could think harder about it, but I think that's a very good one.
0: Okay. Well said. And this is a common one that I ask everyone, so what is the worst out of all these things? Cleaning the dishes, hoovering the house, or changing the bed bedsheets? Oh, bedsheets, easily. <laughs> Pretty much everyone. I think one person has said <laughs> they, they say it's cleaning the dishes, but everyone Clean else. Cleaning the
1: dishes is, is virtually a pleasure. Hoovering, yeah, it's
0: not great. Fucking changing the bed, no thanks. Oh, it's a nightmare, yeah. yeah. I, I cut my eye open the other day, so I was actually meant to change the bed sheets, but <laughs> since that got cut, I was like, right, that's another five, six days. How would you do that? it's the most uncool story ever so i wish i got in a fight or something drunk and rage but i was in my kitchen with the housemates all upstairs in bed and i was putting a room temperature pepsi max into the fridge and it slipped <laughs> i went to reach and retrieve it smashed off the side of the island no, or that is the quite, counter. that is quite good that is quite good yeah but the issue was it was so sore i couldn't scream because the guys were asleep so I literally was just getting sprayed with Pepsi Max while oh, my T-shirt's covered in blood. So yes, it, it shocked them when they got up. They got up the next morning and were like, there's blood all over the floor. What happened last night? <laughs> so yeah, I didn't bother nice. to lie. But yeah, there we go. And then lastly, John, there is, yeah, last question. So if you could ask yourself one question today that I haven't asked you, what would it be?
1: Um, I, I honestly don't know. Um, what is what's for dinner?
0: (laughs) Have you thought that far? No. (laughs) Do you have any anticipation as to what, what you'll be having later on
1: tonight? Friday night. Um, no, none. Maybe some noodles.
0: Yeah, classic cornerstone of, of an English <laughs> it diet is, right there. It is. <laughs> but yeah. So listen listen, John, that's that's more or less it. I, I do want to thank you for, you know, giving so much insight and speaking so candidly about the the ups and downs of your journey so far. And I I hope the listeners I know we've talked about art and how people view things, so I hope the listeners enjoy it. And Great. yeah, just want to congratulate you on your career as well. And as oh, you thanks. said, you're you're straight back into the thick of it and working and writing yeah. again. So I just, I wish you all the best going forward and thanks, you know, I'm looking forward much. to what comes next with uh, the band and even maybe outside of the band as well. Great. Thank you very much for having me. It's been a pleasure. No worries. Take care. Nice one.